Um, there's five categories with specific data, and they relate to that particular aircraft. Uh, maybe top speed. Leave my glasses out, it's embarrassing. Wingspan, uh, range, etc. So how far you can fly on one tank of fuel. And the aim of the game, as Toffer will tell you, is to win your opponent's cards by trumping um, their highest number, their, you know, their furthest distance they can go, with, with your aircraft's furthest distance, for example, if you're playing with the, the planes one. And a fairly simple game, but quite fun, and there's, like, there's an infinite number of different top trumps packs you can get, which is great for the people who make these things. Um, this Palm Sunday, we're going to be having an interlude from Genesis, I understand, is what you've been looking at. This is my first my first 6 p.m. Sunday for a long time. Um, for those of you who don't know me very well, I'm currently in my first year of training to be a vicar. And as part of our training, we get assigned to join another church, a church other than All Saints, which can be a fun or it can be a frightening thing. Um, I've been assigned um, one of the colleges in town, Christ College. And so last term, we were going through the book of Hebrews. Um, and when Simon asked me to speak this evening, I thought, can I speak on Hebrews? That's kind of what I've been thinking about and praying about for a while. So forgive me if this is foreign uh, territory for you. I'll give you a bit of background. Um, so rather like the church today, the church for the, the first century church, the people who this author was writing to, was uh, speaking to in this, in this book, um, the followers of Jesus were under persecution. There were significant challenges to holding fast to that faith. So whether it's an active persecution of brothers and sisters in parts of the world that we're aware of today, like India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, or whether the battle is more covert, more like guerrilla warfare. Here in, in Little Shelford, you might not realize there's guerrilla warfare going on in Little Shelford. I can assure you there is. I don't know about you, perhaps even this last week, I've found it challenging, if you don't believe me, about the guerrilla warfare, I found it challenging to open my Bible. I found it challenging to encourage friends and other followers of Jesus. I've been, found it challenging to, to pray, even with my kids. You'd have thought that was fairly easy. But I found it challenging. I'm probably not the only one here tonight to have found that. Challenging to be a Christian, challenging to hold on to Jesus. And so this is a really excellent chapter to start Easter week with, I think. I hope you'll perhaps uh, enjoy jumping in for a few minutes with me. Let me just recap on where we've got to in Hebrews so far, because chapter 8 is a bit of a, a climax, a bit of a high point of, of the book so far. So in chapters 1 and 2, we see that Jesus is superior he trumps the angels. The Bible talks about angels in a few places. And Jesus trumps the angels. In chapters 3 and 4, we see Jesus 
trumps Moses. He was a real big gun. He was a, he was a celebrity, if you like, of, of the Old Testament for our forefathers. And Jesus trumps even Moses. And he provides lasting rest. Some of you may be feeling a bit weary from physically, perhaps emotionally, mentally. Jesus, we're told, in chapters 3 and 4, talks about a rest that doesn't go away. Chapters 5, 6, and 7, and the beginning of 8, we see Jesus trumps the old priesthood, the old way of doing things um, with the temple and the, the rituals that were involved in staying pure, staying clean, and being holy, being like God. And Jesus trumps Melchizedek. We, we read about Melchizedek, didn't we, earlier in Psalm 110. So we're going to look at another trumping tonight, the top trump. That's why I bought top trump cards tonight. So look down with me at verse 6, and we'll, we'll try and unpack this. If you haven't got a Bible, I'm going to reread it anyway, don't worry. Quoting verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the, old, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Did you see it? Why is the new covenant better than the old? It's old Jesus is the mediator. That's the, the go-between. If you've got a gap, a mediator is somebody who bridges that gap. So we're told that Jesus is the mediator, the new the go-between for this new covenant, the way to come into fellowship with Jesus, to become proper friends with him, close mates. So this new covenant, we read, trumps the old one. And the reason we're given that this new covenant trumps the old, did you spot it, anyone? I'm happy for this to be interactive. Did anyone spot it? What, what, why? Why is this better? Why is the new better than the old? Yeah, thanks, Nick. It's founded, it's established on better promises. We just need to look on a few verses, chapter 8, to see the reason why. Let me read verses 9 and 10. Sorry, 7 to 9. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. See, the author explains, doesn't he, that a new covenant was necessary because of verse 9. They, that's God's people, did not remain faithful to his covenant. So let's be clear, the old covenant was not faulty in some way. Okay? It was God's people who were at fault. 
They were rescued out of Egypt. We know the story well. By God's mighty hand. But because they were unfaithful, because they turned away from God, he turned away from them. So, wonderfully, in God's kindness, he provides a new covenant. One that trumps the old because it's established on a better promise. Let me read verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So the new covenant, we're very clear now, trumps the old because with the new covenant, God promises to write the law not on stone tablets, as he did with the Mosaic law, or simply bits of paper. I haven't got any, well, I've got some paper here, but it's not a Bible. Not on bits of paper with black ink. Not even with little pixels on, on my phone. But on the minds and on the hearts of his people. And they'll not just know about God, my favorite books, knowing God. They'll not just know about him, but there'll be a real relationship with God. And that provision of restored relationship will come through Jesus. The top trump, if you like. The mediator. The go-between. Between humanity and God. Perhaps up until this point, over the last 12 months or so, many of us will have felt that it's been a pretty dismal year. I don't know why I'm smiling. Could easily be crying. There's been a lot of tears shed, haven't there, this year? For some of them, it's perhaps not been physically back at university or hardly being at school, not being able to see elderly parents, not being able to meet up with our mates, not being able to play football. I don't know what it is for you. There'll be many things that we've missed out on. For me, it's studying at Ridley, um, learning how to be a, a minister. I haven't been able to be in any lectures since October. That's been really weird, really disappointing. I haven't even had a meal with anyone else who's kind of in my cohort. Isn't that weird? I think I've found this year to be the hardest year, possibly, of my life. Much of the year's been behind a screen, hasn't it? Which is why it makes it so nice to be together this evening. The list goes on. I don't know what the things that have made you disappointed, down, have been. Perhaps it's not singing. Perhaps it's not being able to watch your favorite team play sport. 
perhaps it's not be able to go to a concert. For many kids and teenagers, it's not being able to go to school or see their mates. It feels almost subhuman, doesn't it? Not be able to meet for a beer or for a coffee. Not be able to read a book with somebody else who's not in our bubble. It seems simply that a lot of what we took for normal existence just has been deleted. And I'm sure you could add your own um, things to that list pretty quickly. So I wonder, this Easter, this coming year, when so much seems to have been taken away, if we've got a distinct opportunity without so much of the normal interaction or the geographical juggling, I wonder, have we got a golden ticket? As much of life as we knew it has been literally pared back, been refined, pruned by God, by this situation of the pandemic, when much of what we and our friends and our families spent so much time chasing has been taken away. Does the steadfast offer of full forgiveness and restored relationship with the God who made us shine all the more brightly the things that can't be taken away with a vaccine? Wouldn't it be the ultimate silver lining of all this that Jesus, the one who trumps all other occupations or other celebrities for our, for our affections, be put back on his rightful throne? I pray that this remainder of the year in our community here at All Saints, at home, in the surgery, at work, back at school after Easter. I pray that God, through his spirit, would be galvanizing our relationships with himself one by one. And that we would truly delight in those words we sung. It feels like ages ago since Christmas, doesn't it? But those, those well-known words, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, will come to thee, O Israel. O people of God. Jesus, God with us, has come. That's the great thing about following him. He's been, and he's walked, and he's risen. And now we can know him. And therefore, despite all the wretchedness of so much of life at the moment, as his children, we're citizens of an eternal kingdom that can't be spoilt, that will never be infected with disease or death. And this reminder, I pray, will give us an unthwarted and unquenchable joy to hold fast to Jesus, the one who trumps all other things, all other people, this Easter. And therefore, as the restrictions ease 
And how exciting that is tomorrow, isn't it? For those to be, for the lid to be seemingly slowly taken off. How exciting to have a life-giving message. And the opportunity to keep encouraging one another with this message. To sing about it, we hope. And to share it with those who haven't yet discovered the true meaning of Easter. Amen.